0: Open your Bible (coughs) to the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible, and we're presently looking at chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4. We are uh, are living at, I I think, what is the most incredible time in the history of mankind to be alive. I don't know for sure if you fully understand that, but if you understand what time it is as far as God is concerned, these are exciting days. I mean, th- we're living in a time where people have, have always looked forward and expected to be the generation of people that we are. Someone's going to be here this morning and say, well, yeah, everybody said that they're going to be the the group of people that are going to be raptured off of this planet—they've been saying that for two thousand years, and that's that's true. But nobody has what we have, and that is we have history to look back on. In Daniel's prophecy, which is very much connected to the the prophecies in the Book of Revelation, <laughs> Daniel comes all the way through all of this, this these prophecies. Again, the same some of the ba- same basic prophecies that we see here in the Book of Revelation. He comes to the end, and, and he says to the Lord, "Now, Lord." What's up with all this? I mean, what does all this mean? And the Lord says, Daniel, sorry, you're never going to know. This is sealed up until the time of the end. And what he was trying to let him know is you're going to have to see this through the eyes of history to really be able to understand it. And we can do that. We're sitting here in 1997, and we can see the prophecies of Daniel and the prophecies in the book of Revelation. We can see some of these things fulfilled before our very eyes to know exactly what time it is that, that we're dealing with. And <clears throat> we're also dealing at a time when there's there's just, quite honestly, a lot of counterfeits out there, all kind of counterfeit experiences of what are some, some genuine things. I mean, it, it's, it's not uncommon for us to turn on the television and be, be watching Christian television having somebody tell us about an experience they had where they were literally transported into the throne room of God, and they're sitting there in our living room explaining to us what they have seen literally with their own eyes in heaven, and they're coming back to tell us about it. Now, I don't know just you know what your feeling on all of that is. My personal feeling is that it's just a, a crock. It's a lie. A- anybody in agreement with that? Okay, well, most of us are in agreement on that. But you see, it's it's a counterfeit because there is a genuine. You see, what we're dealing with in Revelation chapter 4 is a a literal out-of-the-body experience that somebody genuinely had and God used them to write about that event and it is specifically spelled out for us what's interesting is none of these people that write about or talk about their experiences when they went to heaven, none of it looks and sounds anything like what John wrote, and so that's how we know that it's a bunch of trash. Because if it is what it, what genuinely happened, it's going to look a whole lot like what the Bible says, and quite honestly, it, it's just not. But what we're dealing with here in Revelation chapter 4 is a literal experience that the apostle John had in 95 A.D., And what takes place here is this guy is transported into heaven. He's a picture of the rapture of the church in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And and what he does for us here is he tells us about an event that has yet to take place that he has already experienced. And that's why we're calling this chapter Back to the Future. We're going back to 95 AD to have a man tell us about something that has never yet taken place and yet he's experienced with his own eyes and he has beheld this thing. And what we've been looking at, our outline, you can look at the review on your study sheet, we've been looking at the sequence to heaven or the the heavenly translation. What are the, the things that come together? We're expecting to be this church that is raptured off of the face of this planet. And so what is the the sequence? And we we look, first of all, at the time it will happen. Look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. It says, after this. And, of course, after this takes you back to the previous verse, chapter 3 and verse 22. And what we have there is the conclusion of the church age. And what we find in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, in the context, what it lets us know is the rapture will be that event that concludes the church age and again it's what we're anticipating and then biblically if you place this event in the entire context of the bible what we find out is that this event will be that event which restarts the final week of years of daniel's vision of 70 weeks and again we don't have time to go into all of daniel's vision again but basically what that is saying is the rapture is going to be that event that kick-starts the tribulation period, or the seven years of tribulation, which again is that final week of years of Daniel's vision of 70 weeks. And then we talked about the way it will happen. That's the time it will happen at at the very end of the church age. The way it will happen is this. And and of course we know this because what John does for us here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and the first part of verse 2, is he outlines for us exactly what it was that took place as he was translated into heaven as he experienced this rapture if you will he gives us the outline here and then as we compare scripture with scripture we go to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18 and we compare that with 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 50 to 57 what we find is that the sequence to heaven that all of us who know him, all of us will experience exactly this. This is the way that it will happen. Number one, heaven will open, heaven opens, and the Lord descends. Number two, there is the shout, the the come up hither that John talks about here in chapter 4 and verse 1. And then there is the voice of the archangel. In 1 Corinthians 15 maybe points us to what that voice is actually going to say that death is swallowed up in victory. And then number four, the trumpet sounds. And then number five, the bodies of dead believers, which of course are in the grave or in the ground, they are resurrected, glorified, and reunited with their souls and spirits in the air. Then number six, the bodies of those believers who are alive and remain are raptured and glorified in the air. And in number 7, we're taken to the third heaven to be with the Lord. So John spells out for us the sequence to heaven. And then once he's there, he begins to let us know the scene in heaven. Okay? So he's letting all of us know that know him this morning. Here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be on this planet and all of a sudden, all these seven things are going to kick in. And when you get there, this is what it's going to be. And what he does is he, he shows us the scene in heaven. And we talked last week about in this, this passage in, in verses 2 all the way down through verse 6 specifically, everything that he talks about there, that he, he looks around and he begins to see in heaven, it all has to do with the throne. And everything that he describes is described in its relation to the throne. We look, first of all, letter A, on the throne, on the throne, and we saw the one who is seated there. And then he talks about what was around the throne. We looked at that rainbow that Frank talked about just a minute ago, that emerald rainbow that encircled the throne, and he also talked about the 24 elders that were round about the throne or around the throne and then C he talked about what was coming out of the throne out of the throne and he talked about the lightnings and thunderings and and voices and again we went into detail on all of these things last week and then he talked about what was before the throne we saw the seven lamps of fire which are the seven spirits of God and then also before the throne he talked about the sea of glass which was like unto crystal he said and we talked about the fact as we compare scripture with scripture that that sea of glass is, is the deep in the scripture it, it is the waters in Genesis 1 that be above the heavens which the book of Job says the face of which is frozen and it is those waters where on the other side of that where god it literally says hides his throne in psalm 104 in verse 2 it says that he laid the beams of his chamber in the waters and what it is is that sea of glass that the apostle john talks about here in in verse 6 and then look at something else here and this is where we'll pick up today's message He he talks about something else. We we didn't get to all of the things that were uh, in this heavenly scene that that John talks about and all of these things in relationship to the throne. And and what he describes for us next is what was in the midst of the throne. In the midst of the throne. And, And what we find here in the midst of the throne are the four beasts the four beasts and i want you to look with me if you will at the middle of verse verse six okay now try to try to visualize this in your mind that's what john is allowing us to be able to do it's it's not some you know weirded out kind of a visualization thing but what he's doing for us here is he's describing for us now what we can expect to see once we come after the rapture into the throne room of heaven and he says in the middle of verse six and in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, were four beasts. And, and just stop there for a second, and let's let's talk about their location for just a second. Because, but look at verse six again. He, he says that they were in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, it took me quite a while to try to picture that in my mind. How is something? in the midst of the throne and at the same time around it what what is he what is he talking about it's just a difficult thing to begin to try to, to to visualize that until you begin to compare scripture with scripture and you begin to understand that these four beasts that he's talking about here actually are the guardians of the throne of god and i'll show you that in just a second but now now picture this What what John is describing here is their position. He is showing that they are positioned on the four corners of the throne. And and that's why John describes their location to the throne the way that he does here. Now, evidently, with what John is describing here, evidently, the throne is transparent. And as he looked at it, he sees right through it. And on the four corners of it, he sees these four beasts, and that's why he says they are in the midst of the throne and round about the throne. But the big question is not so much their location. The big question is, who are these four beasts or what are these four beasts? What is their identification? And look at verse look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And the first beast was like... A lion and the second beast like a calf and the third beast had a face as a man and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle you say well what, what's all that about well you'll, you'll notice that, that these four things that he likens these beasts to first of all these things are all description of that which is supreme in creation all of these these beasts have the preeminence in their own sphere of creation for example a lion is supreme in the kingdom of wild animals a calf which is really a a young ox is supreme in the kingdom of domestic animals man of course is supreme in in the whole kingdom of creation and an eagle is supreme in the kingdom of the fowls of the air so in a in a very general application the the four beasts represent all the greatness and all the strength and all the beauty of creation glorifying and praising god psalm 103 and verse 22 says listen to it bless the lord all his works in all places of his dominion and you see that's that's what john is depicting here all of his works in all places of his dominion but there's something that's even more specific than that bible students as far back as the second century have observed that there's a very obvious connection of the four beasts in revelation to the four gospels when matthew drew his portrait of the lord jesus christ he drew the portrait of a lion the, the purpose of the Gospel of Matthew is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ as the King of the Jews. Matthew picks up his ancestry and he traces it back to David. And David, of course, was God's choice as Israel's first king. The book of Matthew begins with the cry of the wise men. Where is he that is born? What? King of the Jews and in Matthew's gospel Christ is presented as Israel's king the lion of the tribe of Judah Mark's portrait of Christ is that of a calf Th- the purpose of the gospel of Mark is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ as the servant of the Lord the servant of of the lord mark presents the lord jesus christ as the one who came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many mark 10 45 and and what mark does in his gospel is he shows the lord jesus christ giving his life like a calf first in service again there's that ministry not to be ministered unto but to minister first in service and then in sacrifice. Luke draws the portrait of Christ as a man. The purpose of the Gospel of Luke is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. You come into Luke's Gospel and what you find is that he traces the ancestry of Jesus Christ right back to Adam, the first man, and he shows that the Lord Jesus Christ is the last adam and he's presented in luke in his perfect humanity the son of man and then john's portrait of the lord jesus christ is the portrait of an eagle the purpose of john's gospel is to reveal the lord jesus christ as the son of god john chapter 20 in verse 31 even tells you that john says that he wrote what he, he wrote that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And in the Gospel of John, Christ is presented as the second person of the Godhead, named specifically in the Gospel of John as the Word who descended from heaven like an eagle and was made flesh. And you see, folks, that's why you have four Gospels in your Bible, to show you from every direction what the Lord Jesus Christ is like. And check this out. John says that these four beasts that he saw were like a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. In other words, each one of them reflected an aspect of the likeness of the Lord now, are you see in that we, we go to Matthew, or the, the gospels and, and we see that they're all being depicted in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ and John says when I saw these four beasts I, I saw them just like that in other words I saw them like Christ I, I saw them the same way that he is presented as he reveals himself through the word of God and, and man there's a great Bible principle there you know why the four beasts in revelation are so much like the lord jesus christ they're so much like him because they are so much with him and the principle has always held true those who spend time in the presence of the lord become like the lord jesus christ do you remember what happened when when Moses went up in, into the mount to be in the presence of the Lord, you remember what God told him? He says, Moses, come up into the mount and and be there. And you remember what happened? Exodus chapter 34 and verse 29 says that, that Moses didn't know it, but what had happened, His his face had the light of the Shekinah glory of the Lord Jesus Christ on it to the point that that it was freaking Aaron and all of the rest of the, the children of Israel out when he came down, down the hill, and they, they said, hey, whoa, man, can you do this? Can you put a veil over your face? You know what happened? Being in the presence of the Lord it caused Moses to become like him. You remember what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 that's going to happen to us when we finally see the Lord Jesus Christ as he is? What does it say is going to happen? We shall be... Hello? We shall be like him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 18, it, it says that the very thing that has happened to those people, like Moses, and will happen to all of us when we see him as he is, what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, is that same thing happens to us now when we spend time in the presence of of the lord through this book do you remember what it says in second corinthians 3 18 it says but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the lord and you see it's just a, a consistent principle in the word of god we become like the lord jesus christ by spending time in his presence and folks the only way that you can spend time in his presence is through this book the only way that you'll ever be like him is through the way that he has revealed his presence on this earth and it is through this book we're living at a time to where quite honestly there are a few people who are like the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because there are very few people who spend time in His presence. Oh, there's a lot of people who have their daily devotions. And there's a lot of people who read the Word of God, but somehow it's never connected to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I guarantee you, I, I promise you, when you spend time in His presence, you will be be like him. But not only are are the four beasts connected to all that is supreme in creation, not only are the four beasts connected to the four gospels, but again, as you compare scripture with scripture, it becomes obvious that the four beasts of revelation are very much connected to the four living creatures in the book of Ezekiel, and that's what they're called there, four living creatures and I I want you to turn back and I want you to see this with me, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, now in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel has a very similar experience to that of John, and what it does is it, it, it really helps us to understand just what these beasts are that, that john talks about over there ezekiel chapter one let, let's pick up in verse one it says now it came to pass in the 30th year in the fourth month in the fifth day of the month as i was among the captives by the river of chibar okay now, now just just remember where he uh, was when he had this, this vision that's going to be important in just a second he tells us when it was. He tells us where he was. I, I was among the captives by the river of Chibar. And he says, this is what happened. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Okay, so I think it's obvious that you can see that this is the same basic context of what we saw and are seeing over in Revelation chapter 4. Heaven opens and he sees the Lord and he is by the river of Chibar. And watch his description of what he saw beginning in verse 4 he says and I looked and behold a whirlwind came out of the north if you've been here for our, our study in the last several weeks you know that the north is very significant when we're talking about the throne of God when we're talking about heaven because heaven is located in the in the north okay and so he says a great whirlwind it came out of the north a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and brightness was about it again everything that we've we've seen in the last several weeks and out of the midst thereof as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures okay now he he's going to go into a description of them here and we're going we're going to look at it but I want you to see something over in chapter 10. We'll come right back here. But go over to Ezekiel chapter 10. Because in Ezekiel chapter 10, what he does is he picks up the subject of these living creatures that he was just talking about there, that he saw in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse verse, verse 5. But the reason I'm bringing you over here now is because what he does in chapter 10 is he specifically identifies those four living creatures for us to let us know what these four living creatures or these beasts actually are. Now, all, all the way through chapter 10, he's been describing these, these four living creatures again. But look at what he tells us in verse 15. And the cherubims were lifted up. This is the living creature that I saw by the river of Chebar. Now, he just told us back in chapter 1 that he had the vision when he was by the river of Chabar, while he was there, he saw these four living creatures, and what he does for us here in this verse is he identifies those four living creatures, or these four beasts, as what? As cherubim, okay? Now, that's a very important factor right there. And and again, I'll show you why in, in just a second. But what he does is he lets us know that these four living creatures, which are the four beasts in Revelation chapter 4, he lets us know that they are cherubim. Now, now go back to chapter 1 again. <clears throat> and in, in chapter 1, of course, he, he's, he's been telling us what he saw in verse, in verse 5, the, these four living creatures, which are cherubim. And look at the middle of verse 5. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. So if you want to know what a cherubim looks like, what he tells you is is a cherubim looks like a man. And and that is, he's got a a head, a face, he's got shoulders and arms, a a back, a a chest, legs, the the whole shot. He he looks like a man, but, verse 6, every one of them had four faces, and every one had four wings. Now, this is a little bit of a different description than what John saw in Revelation chapter 4. John saw four beasts, and according to his description in chapter 4, and we'll go into detail over that in in, in just a second, but according to, to John's description, each one of these four beasts that he saw all had just one face. And John said that they had six wings, But drop down to verse 10. As for their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the faces of an ox or a calf on the left side, and they four also had the face of an eagle. Okay, It's the same faces that John saw on the four beasts. It's just that these cherubim are said to have the combination of the four faces here in Ezekiel. And you'll notice down in verses 15 and 16 that Ezekiel describes them as also having wheels and wheels within wheels. And and John never mentions any of that. And so someone says, well, you know, with all these differences, you know, I mean, how is it that we would say, in light of what we believe about the Bible, why is it that we would say that these four living creatures are the same as the four beasts in the book of Revelation? And the answer to that is when Ezekiel is seeing these, remember, he is seeing them coming out of the, the north, and they are coming to the earth. When, when Ezekiel sees the, these cherubim, they are in flight. What, what they're doing is they are actually picking up and carrying the throne of God out of, the, uh, out of heaven at the second coming of, of Christ. Ezekiel chapter 1 is a picture of the second coming they're not in a stationary position they're coming out of heaven at the second coming and it's confirmed for us in psalm 18 and verse verse 10 just listen to it psalm 18 verse 10 is describing the second coming of christ and it says and he rode upon a cherub and did fly yea he did fly upon the wings of the wind and you see That's the way that it was when Ezekiel saw them. When John sees them in Revelation 4, they are stationary in the third heaven at the four corners of the throne. They're different only because we're seeing them at a different time, in in a different situation, fulfilling a, a different purpose. But by their description, it's obvious that these are the same creatures. Again, which makes them... And you see, the reason I keep emphasizing that point is that both Ezekiel and John tell us that there were, how many of them? Four of them. But you know something? There weren't always just four, were there? you know that? You do. You just don't know that you do right now going to think about it are there only four cherubim you see there's a a fifth one that we find in the bible and you'll remember that john said that they were in the midst of the throne and round about the throne but ezekiel 28 we're, we're right here so go over to ezekiel 28 tells us that at one time there was another cherub and this cherub, his location was where? Over the throne. Ezekiel 28, and and look at verse 14, it talks about the anointed cherub, the anointed cherub that covereth. And what you begin to see in Ezekiel 28 is that this is a very, very special If you'll notice back in in verse 12, God said that this covering cherub sealed up the sum and was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And you'll notice in verse 13 that he was said to have been in Eden, the garden of God. And in that garden, he had been created of beautiful jewels to radiate and to reflect the light of, of God he had been made of musical instruments at, at the end of verse 13 a- as the worship leader of the heavenly host. And there's no doubt about who this covering cherub is, right? His name is what? Lucifer. His name is Lucifer. His name again means light bearer. And of course, verse 15 says of him, Thou wast, past tense, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee this one who had been perfect is none other than the originator of iniquity and that iniquity of course is described for us in the book of isaiah chapter 14 verses 13 and 14 and verse 14 right here in ezekiel 28 let you know that he was the fifth cherub. He was the one that covered the throne. But notice something else about him. Verse 14 says that he was the anointed cherub. And you know what? That, that's something that, I mean, you can go check it out in Ezekiel here. That's something that was not said of the other cherubims, the other cherubs, This is the only one that is said to be anointed. And you know what the the Hebrew word for anointed is? You you know this word. We use it all the time, especially this time of the year. The word is Messiah. And and you know what the New Testament word for Messiah is? It's Christ. And check this out. This fifth cherub, Lucifer, is a Christ. Now, he's not the holy lord god almighty the lord jesus christ but he is a christ and you know why that's so important because in just a a, a few short years and maybe maybe just a few short minutes this fifth cherub or this former fifth cherub is going to enter the body of some human being on this planet that is no doubt already alive somewhere on this globe at this very moment and he is going to enter him as the what the anti-christ the anti-christ and you see that's why when you begin to look in the word of god that's why you begin to see that there are so many similarities between the lord jesus christ and the Antichrist, which is none other than satan personified john chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus is called a light. In Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, Satan is called a light. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, Jesus is called a king. And in Job 41 and verse 34, Satan is called a king. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, the Lord Jesus Christ became flesh and ministered on this planet for a period of 42 months. And in Revelation chapter 13, 5, we'll see this in a couple of weeks or months or years, who knows, what we're going to find is that Satan becomes flesh and ministers on this earth for a period of 42 months. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, the Lord Jesus Christ comes out of heaven riding on a white horse. We see him in Revelation chapter 6. Satan, we see him in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2 in the person of the Antichrist riding on a white horse. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 and 10, the Lord Jesus Christ is described as a bride who is a church and a city. And in Revelation chapter 17, Satan, in the person of the Antichrist, has a bride who is a church and a city. In John chapter 20 and verse 28, Jesus Christ is called God in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Satan is called God, small G. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 calls the Lord Jesus Christ a prince. In John 16 and verse 11, Lucifer, Satan, is called a prince. In Revelation 5, 5, the Lord Jesus Christ is called a lion. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Satan is called a lion the reason he is all of these things is because he is none other than the anti christ who was anointed such as the fifth cherub that was over the throne or covered the throne and when we see him see these cherubim in ezekiel when we see them in revelation there's four but there's a fifth one and he's still looking for a place above the stars of god he still wants to be like the most high all right now let's go back to revelation chapter four all right you still with me You, you guys understand all that anybody have a question okay ask your neighbor if so all right so by comparing scripture with scripture what we've we've done here is we've specifically identified these four beasts who always accompany the throne wherever it goes. They are the guardian of the throne. Every time that you see that throne you're going to see these, these living creatures and if it's coming out of heaven buddy, you're going to look and you're going to see them just like Ezekiel did. If you're going to be uh, caught up to heaven and see that throne in a stationary position, you're going to see them as the guardians of the throne in the midst of the throne and around the throne at the four corners of that throne and we've specifically identified them as cherubim okay now let's pick up their description according to what john says john says at the end of verse six that they were full of eyes before and behind and and drop down to the middle of verse eight and they were full of eyes within okay so they have eyes before behind and within which really I mean, it, it fits perfectly with Ezekiel's description because each beast had four faces, one in each direction, which would give them eyes before, behind, and within. But the picture here, I mean, I, I think what, what, what the Lord is trying to let us know about their eyes is, is that of their spiritual perception and their insight into the, into the future, before, and the, the past. Behind and the present within, which gives them the ability to praise this one who is on the throne, the one that verse 8 says, which was and is and is to come. The Lord is that way, and they have the eyes to be able to worship him in that same kind of way. And verse 8 tells us something else about their description. It says... And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And in this way, they're much like the the seraphim, the seraphim, which Isaiah said that that he saw when he had the vision of the Lord on his throne in Isaiah chapter 6. He said that he saw the seraphim's, and each one of them had six wings. And when John sees the cherubims here in their stationary position in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, John says that they, the cherubim, also had six wings. And just, just a footnote on this, you know, there's all kinds of talk today about angels. I mean, you, you can go down to the secular bookstore and, man, you're going to find all kind of books dealing with angels. You can go to wherever I mean any any place that sells you know pictures for your home and all of that and man I'm telling you you can you can fill your home with all kind of pictures about angels one of the top television shows on on right now is is about angels I mean angels are just just everywhere and every time that you see angels talked about or written about or or pictured you always see angels depicted with wings But but did you know that there is not one place in the Bible that you could ever go and find that an angel has wings? Not one place. Seraphim have wings and cherubim have wings, but every angel that you ever see in the Bible shows up with no wings. They never show up as women. They always show up looking a whole lot like a man, so much so that men can't even tell the difference. You say, well, where do you get that? In Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, a great case in point. Angels come, and they are called men, identified as men, and the men of that city are weird. That's all I can say. (laughs) They're weird, and they could not even tell that it was an angel. Now, that's not going to make or break your spiritual life, but uh, it is good to be able to at least identify what we're dealing with when, we deal with when we talk about the Bible. Angels don't have wings. Seraphim, cherubim have wings. So those are the things that, that make up the scene in heaven that are on the throne, around the throne, out of the throne, before the throne, and in the midst of the throne And strangely enough, there are seven things that comprise the scene in heaven. We saw the rainbow that was around the throne. We saw the sea of glass before the throne. We saw the lightnings and thunderings and voices out of the throne. We saw the four beasts in the midst of the throne, the 24 elders around the throne, the seven spirits before the throne, and count them, the one on the throne. Seven things that he identifies that when we are raptured, and we behold heaven, and we see the scene that is there. Seven things that will catch our eye. So, what John does is he, he gives us what we're going to experience to bring us to heaven. That's the sequence to heaven. Then he tells us what we're going to see once we get there. That's the scene in heaven. And then third, this is Roman numeral number three on your outline. He tells us what we're going to hear once we're there. And this is the sound of heaven the sound of heaven the sound being made by the heavenly throng so that we move from the heavenly translation to the heavenly throne and now the sound that is coming from the heavenly throng and i mean can you just imagine i mean don't don't you wish today that i mean even if we couldn't see it man wouldn't you just love to say yeah you know what y'all Check this out, man. We've got a we've got a we've got a CD of the sound of heaven. We want you to be able to hear what's going on in in heaven. So we're going to play that for you this morning. Can you imagine the buzz that would be in here? I mean, there wouldn't be a soul coughing. I mean, I don't care what kind of cough you got, you you wouldn't be coughing, man. You'd be just hanging on this. And and man, that's that's what what John's going to give us here, the 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 sound in heaven. And what he does from the middle of verse eight down through verse eleven. is is he describes the worship of heaven. Now, do you remember in in John chapter 4 and verse verse 23, we we talk about this verse a lot. Now, now just hang with me, y'all. Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 23 that the Father was seeking a particular type of worshiper. Do you remember what kind it is? Say it with me true worshipers right y'all didn't say it with me you were scared you know that the father is seeking true worshipers and true worshipers are characterized by what they worship him in spirit and in truth and I don't know if you you feel that you've ever actually just laid hold of what it really means to be a, a true worshiper or not, or what? What it actually is to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I, I know that, and we've been on this journey together, most of us for for quite a while now. I remember about ten years or so ago, in this church, this, the whole subject of, of worship began to just kind of be a, a, a theme in, in this fellowship, and we started talking about our singing and about our life and. And, and worship and, and all of the, these kind of things. And I can just tell you, over the last 10 years or so, there have been so many times when I've said to the Lord, Lord, would you, would you, would you teach me what it really means to be a true worshiper? You, you know, the, the thing that, that scares me so much about Laodicea is, you know, you, you see so much junk that goes on, and worship has become such a buzzword. in in christianity and and all of that and you just begin to wonder if if the worship of heaven is anything like the worship that we see in the laodicean church period and how many laodicean barnacles are there that are attached to 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 our 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 worship and 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 so I, i pray lord would you would you show me what it is to be a a true worshiper would you teach me what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth and i and i've often thought man i just i'd love to in 1997 man i would just love to be able to go to go to church with the apostle paul you know and just stand next to the guy and maybe just for that sunday maybe just put my own worship on hold and just check it out what it would be to see a guy like the apostle paul worship god in a public setting i man, i'd love to see what that would be like wouldn't you you know what i'm saying I've often thought, man, I'd, I'd love to just be a little mouse that could, you know, curl up in the corner somewhere in the Apostle Paul's room in 1997 and be able to just see what it is for a guy to wake up and, and spend time with God and, and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And I've often thought, man, I know that if I could just, if I could see that, my life would be forever changed, you know, to be able to have a model of what true worship really is, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And you know what I came to realize this week? The Lord does us one better right here. You know what He does? He takes us to heaven in Revelation chapter 4, and He allows us to be able to behold and to listen not as an earthly man in a corruptible mortal body worships the Lord, but as the heavenly throng who have an incorruptible and immortal body at this point, and they worship the Lord, not by faith at their bedside or some corner of their house, but they're worshiping the Lord in the very presence of God Himself in His very throne room. Let me just ask you something. After John saw that in heaven, don't you just imagine that when he came back to this earth in the final years of his life, don't you know that his worship on earth was forever changed because of what he was able to see as true worshipers, worshiped in spirit and in truth, in heaven and, and don't you don't you think that maybe the reason that this is here is so that we might be able to walk into heaven through the pages of scripture and be able to see it and to hear it with our spiritual ears so that we too are forever changed when it comes to the worship that our father is seeking out of heaven looking at in your life and wanting to receive from you and check this out John tells us exactly what the worship of heaven looks like and what the worship of heaven sounds like he gives us a perfect example of true worshipers worshipping in spirit and in truth and so listen as we start to move into this thing man go to it and don't just fill your study sheet in and, and get all of the little facts of what's going on in, in heaven after the rapture of the church. And allow the Lord to bring you there so that your life can be changed, so that we can all learn something about what this thing of worship really is and what it is to be a a, a true worshiper. And I want, I want you to remember as, as we're going into this that what, what what he does here in the whole rest of this chapter is he describes for us the worship of the four beasts that we just talked about and the worship of the 24 elders that we we talked about last week. And and I want to make sure that you you remember what's really going on here because remember that John was writing about what he actually saw in heaven, not in 95 A.D. Remember that? We're going back to the future. What he is writing about here. Is what takes place in heaven immediately following the rapture of the church, and that's significant because John is describing here that all that, that event that all of creation has been waiting for and longing for, and, and groaning and in tra- pain and, and travail, waiting for this event. In fact, it, go back to Romans chapter eight for a, a second. What what the Scripture says, and we're going to see this in Romans chapter 8, is for the last 6,000 years, folks, all of creation has been waiting for this event that we're going to read about here in Revelation chapter 4. You see, in the four beasts and the 24 elders, we have all of creation represented here. And in Romans chapter 8, and let me remind you, as we're moving into this, that when man sinned in the garden, that all of creation was affected by that. Remember, it says that the ground w- w- was was cursed; the, the world changed at that point, and that's what Paul's talking about here in, in Romans chapter eight. And let's let's pick up in verse verse eighteen. He says, "For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time." are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What he's talking about here is all of creation is waiting for that day when we finally have the fullness of our salvation. Remember we saw a few weeks ago that the day that we got saved, spiritually, we were transformed. Our, our spirit was changed. Our soul was changed, but our body was not. We, we're awaiting the fullness of our salvation, which will be when we receive a glorified body. And he is saying here, all of creation is waiting for that event. Verse twenty: For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, Even we uh, ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. And you see what John is describing in Revelation chapter 4, and you can go back there, but listen. What he's describing is the worship of all of creation after the groaning and and the travailing and the pain is gone after we've shed these corruptible, mortal earth suits and we've experienced the redemption of our bodies and we've received from the Lord a glorified body. And man, if you want to learn what it is to be a true worshiper who worships in spirit and in truth, man, you'll never have a better example of what is included than what you've got right here because, man, this is it. This is how we're going to worship. When we go to heaven. So, again, as we go through this, man, grab a hold of what you're going to be like then and how you're going to worship then. And let's see if we can't begin to apply that on the earth right now. Now, first of all, he describes the worship of the four beasts. And I mean, after watching us blow it, I mean, here they are, the guardians of the throne of God. They've been there from the beginning. And they have watched us through the centuries, folks. They have watched us blow it time and time again. They have watched us allow our earthly bodies to direct our thinking, our activities, what we do, what we don't do, how we think. And, and listen, at this point, it's all over. And John says, first of all, they praise God tirelessly. They praise God tirelessly. The middle of verse 8 says, they rest. Not. Listen, the worship of the four beasts never stops. They never rest. And you know what else? They need no rest. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. And listen, folks, the reason that we were created was to worship the Lord. And only when we are fulfilling our purpose. Will we experience the full joy that we were designed by Him to have? And listen, some of us have little strength because we have little joy. And the reason we have little joy is because we offer little worship. And listen, you'll, you'll never know the fullness of joy that gives you the strength in the Christian life until you are a true Worshiper, Listen, when you worship God, and that's the, the first and foremost thing of your life, listen, worship doesn't drain you. Worship fuels you. The four beasts praise God tirelessly. They rest not, because the more they worship, the more joy they have, and the more joy they have, the more strength they have. And you know what? The same exact thing is true with us. Some of you got to take pep pills. You know why? You don't worship. the joy of the Lord is our strength and you get that joy when you find yourself at at his feet they praise him tirelessly next they praise God ceaselessly they praise God ceaselessly the middle of verse 8 goes on they rest not day and night you you see our problem is we block off times of worship you know we, we have Sunday and we have the the morning worship service at ten ten. You know, we, we turn on worship because it's the worship service. And then we have the evening worship at six o'clock. And then the first fifteen minutes of our prayer time in the morning, it's it's worship time. And we've designated that time for worship, and it's almost like like we feel that worship is something that we, you know, kind of bounce in And out of, and what we see here is that these true worshipers, they rest not day and night. You know what, folks? All of life, all of life is a worship service. Every minute of every day and of every night. And you know what? Your life will change when you really come to grips with that truth and you understand that it's not that, oh, you know what, I, I didn't have my worship time this morning. No. you got to get to the point to where you understand that every single thing you do is your worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, "...whether therefore ye eat, or ye drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God." Singing... Yeah, that's that's part of our worship. The offering that we give to the Lord, yeah, it's part of our worship. Listening to the preaching of the word, preaching the word, yeah, it's part of our worship. Studying the word of God through the week, it's part of our worship. The missions trips that we take to go to the ends of the earth, it's part of our worship. Going to work is part of your worship. Colossians chapter three says that you go there and you serve the Lord Christ. So so go there and and, and worship. Whether you eat or you drink or you sleep, you're worshiping. It's all worship. And then look at the third thing. These four beasts, they praise God for His attributes. Yeah, all all of life is worship, but worship is also directed. There are special times of worship where we specifically glorify Him and honor Him and, and thank Him for His attributes. And you see, listen, this is... This is where the joy comes from that we were, we were talking about. You know, if, if you just come to the point in your life where you would become a true worshiper, you know what, by the, by the time you, you finish calling out to God the attributes that He possesses, you, you know what happens to you as you're doing that? You are reminded of how unbelievable and undescribable and incredible it is that God loves you and that God lives in you. And you know what? As you're, you're calling out His attributes and all of that is, is coming into your very being, you know what happens to you, man? You are filled with such joy that your heart begins to overflow. You begin to be filled with such faith and trust that you're no longer all wigged out about you know the, the problems of your life. All of a sudden those problems don't seem quite so insurmountable when you've spent time worshiping the attributes of our holy, righteous, almighty God. And, and we see here, first of all, they praise God and they worship God for His holiness. Verse 8 says, They rest not day and night, saying, Holy! 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 And you know why they say it three times? Because He is the God, according to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, as well as the entire Bible, He is the God that is manifested in three persons. This is the worship of the great three in one, the thrice holy God who is sitting on the throne. And the four beasts are crying out that God the Father is Holy! That His nature has, does not even compute sin. That God the Son, the Word, He is holy. That the Holy Spirit is indeed holy. And listen, when we worship Him, because of His holiness, when we worship Him in the fullness of the attribute of His, the fact that He is holy, you know what it does? It shows us our unholiness and what begins to happen as we see ourselves as we begin to see him in the fullness of who he is and what begins to happen is confession of sin and when you confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and you know what you know the full joy of fellowship with him and you see what happens the joy of the lord is your strength and then we see also that they worship and praise God for His omnipotence, His omnipotence, the the fact that He is the all-powerful God. Verse 8 says, They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And again, if you need faith in your circumstances, buddy, just spend 5 or 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes worshiping him as the Lord God Almighty. You know what? When you're done with that, hey, you don't have a problem. The only problem you've got is a problem he's allowed you to have and if he's allowed you to have it, enjoy it. It It's there for a reason. So we come before him worshiping his holiness, His omnipotence. And then we see that they worship His eternalness and His omnipresence. Verse 8 says, They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come, and all of those at the same time, I might add. And look at the end of verse 9. Who liveth forever and ever. Earthly kings on earthly thrones are so so limited and they're so vulnerable and they're so fleeting. But not the one on this throne. He knows no limit. He knows no time. He knows no obstacles. He knows no barriers. He was and is and is to come. He is He who liveth forever and ever. And notice something else about their worship in verse 9. They ascribe to Him glory and honor and thanks. And you know what? This is the full expression of all that they are, their entire being, and with all that is within them, praising and magnifying and adoring and glorifying and reverencing and holding in absolute awe and thankfulness all that He is and all that He's done. Oh man, don't you wish you could hear that? don't you wish you could hear as the four beasts worship the Lord singing holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty which was and is and is to come I'm I'm telling you their their worship I I just I just can't even imagine It, it, it must have been it must have been something else because you know what it brought an incredible response out of the church the glorified church represented in the 24 elders. Look at verse 9. It says, And when those four beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, BAM! The 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created, the church is raptured into the presence of the Lord who is sitting on his throne. And as we saw last week, he is sitting there in all of his splendor and majesty and glory, the one that, that Peter said in First Peter, chapter one and verse eight, that though we've never seen him, we love him. And here we are, represented in the 24 elders. This is the the raptured church of Jesus Christ. And we're able to behold Him for the very first time. And as we do, we come into that, that scene. And here is all of creation, represented in the four beasts. And they're lifting their voices, and they're singing, Holy, holy, holy. I mean, we're just absolutely overwhelmed Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come and we're looking around and we're seeing all of this and we see that One that we have carried on a love relationship with from this planet and now we finally behold Him and we hear all of the sounds of the four beasts as they worship and immediately, spontaneously, unreservedly, unashamedly the 24 elders prostrate their bodies verse 10 says they fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and we've said it so many times before but when you really see the lord in all of his holiness and all of his glory the most comfortable position that you can find yourself in is on your face not on your feet Not on your bumper, on your face. And as you go through the Bible and you look at this this, this thing of worship in the Bible, you find that there are generally two ways that that worship is expressed. One is by bowing down or prostrating yourself. And the other is to offer gifts you remember the wise men in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 it, it says that they came before the Christ child and it says that they worshipped him and if you look at that verse what you'll find is that they only did two things number one it says they fell down and number two they opened their treasure and presented unto him gifts and you know it, it's interesting but it's that same exact thing that you see the church doing in heaven right Right here after the rapture. Verse 9 says that they worshiped Him and it shows the church doing two things. They fall down. They, they prostrate themselves. They prostrate their bodies. And number two, they cast their crowns before Him. You, you know what they're doing, y'all? They're, they're showing... Him, their worthship, and I don't have a lisp. They're showing him his worthship, and, and maybe it'll help you to understand the concept of worship if you understand that worship is the old the old English word worthship. That's literally what the word is. It's it's ship In worship, you know what we do, folks? Listen, in worship, we open the treasures of our heart. We open the treasures of of our entire being and we exhibit to the Lord Jesus Christ what He's worth. And here is the church in heaven falling before Him demonstrating that He is worthy of their absolute surrender. And with the crowns which with they had been honored and rewarded by the Lord Jesus Christ, they take those crowns and they cast them at His feet because they understand that those crowns are not because of their worthiness, but because of His and, of course, the, the crowns are, are how the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is rewarded at the judgment seat of, of Christ. We, we talked about that before. There, there's five crowns that are available to you as a reward. But it's not like we've got a crown shelf in heaven. It's not like we go around sporting, check out my brim, y'all, check out my lid. It, it, it's not that at all. We, we take those crowns and we say, you're, you're worthy. I, I, I'm, I'm not worthy of this. You're worthy. And, and you see, what we see here is the church not only demonstrating it by, by prostrating their bodies and casting their crowns, but they actually proclaim the same truth of His worthiness with their mouth. Because The next thing we see in verse 11 is they lift their voices. They've shown it by falling down and casting their crowns, and now they lift their voices to put the words to the music, if you will. And they exclaim, we exclaim, if you will, with our voices in verse 11 saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory and honor and power. You know what this is? This is us saying to the Lord, Lord, you alone are worthy. There, no one else, no one else is deserving of any, any praise. We owe it all to you. In fact, Lord, we owe our very existence to you. That's what we say at the end of verse 11. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Lord, these crowns, thank You. I'm not worthy of this. We fall down before Him in absolute surrender. We take the crowns, we open the treasures that the Lord has granted to us, and we present them to Him as our worship we say this is what you are worthy of because without you there would be no praise we owe you our very existence and so john takes us in don't don't pack up please john takes us in in revelation chapter 4 he takes us into the throne room of heaven and he says Here's how you're going to get there. And when you do, this is what you're going to see. And when you see it, this is what you're going to do. Because you're going to hear some of the most incredible things in the world. And when you hear those four beasts, Buddy, bam! You're going you're gonna to make a beeline to his feet to show him his worship. That'll be our worship then. And may God help us to bring the worship of heaven to earth in our lives now. You know, you, you know what? Really, and not that I'm a spiritual giant. You know, we all have different goals. You know what? The bottom line goal of my life really is: I want to, I want to live, and I don't is the goal. I want to live in such absolute surrender of the Lord Jesus Christ that He can look at my life and see that my life is cast before Him because He's worthy of that. And I want to so learn to worship Him like that down here so that when I get there it's not going to all be so freaky. You know, what I want is it it to just be a continuation of a life of worship. You see, if all of life is worship and everything that you're doing, you constantly are going through your life worshiping the Lord, wouldn't it be a great thing to be raptured off of this planet worshiping Him by faith on the earth and coming into His very presence and just continuing what's already been going on? And I'm afraid if something doesn't happen for some of us, maybe even today, to, to, to just begin to change us in our whole approach to this thing of spending time with God and being in His presence, I'm afraid some of us are, are going to get to heaven and go, wow! And you're going to have to begin to learn to do something when we have the opportunity right now to be true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth